Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hello again. Thank you so much for joining me. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Today's topic is going to be about getting content published in trade journals, in the media, all the things that we used to think about using a PR firm for. And so we're going to talk to a journalist about what are the challenges journalists face when they're looking for content and how companies can be helpful to them in getting that published. Before we start, I want to remind you about the ACPLS annual meeting. It's coming up very soon, October 19th through 21st in Philadelphia. Again, fantastic lineup of speakers. Best-selling author Dory Clark's going to be there talking about how to manage your personal brand. Tom Selig is going to talk about the value of networking for building your career. He's vice president at Patheon. And Harisi Samartsadu is the vice president of global marketing for biosciences at Thermo Fisher. And she has an interesting perspective on how our customers are evolving faster than we are and and what we need to do to have our marketing activities catch up. And so many more great topics, not to mention a lot of skill development workshops and, of course, networking with your peers. Where else can you go and just talk to your peers in the industry at an event that is exclusively for us. I hope you can make it not too late to register. Go to acp-ls.org slash annual dash meeting. You can find everything you need right there. And I hope I see you about a month from now in Philadelphia. Now let's get on with the interview. Today, I'm speaking with Jennifer Oladipo. Jennifer is a business writer with a background in journalism. We're going to talk about integrating media publications into your content strategy. Jennifer, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Thanks so much. I'm glad to be here. Well, I think it's going to be really interesting. I'm excited to have you. First of all, tell us a little bit about your background so um, the people in the audience understand kind of where all this information is coming from. So the quick and dirty is that I've basically um, bounced back and forth between um, media and uh, journalism and, um, you know, being inside organizations, Uh, sometimes simultaneously if I, you know, was freelancing or maybe had a contract um, with a publication and it just wasn't full time. So I've been on both sides, uh, trying to get something I or my organization was doing into the media and also looking for things, looking for stories and content and things like that. Um, And then most recently, I've uh, started my own venture, kind of wrapping those two things together. Um, It's called X Editorial and basically taking what I did, what I have done as a business reporter, um, covering a lot of a lot of areas, but kind of narrowing down to um, tech, life sciences, manufacturing, and a couple of other things um, to basically kind of be on the team and, and help folks get those messages out and create content. Nice. So we're talking about getting content published in the media. Some people would call it earned media. Let's start at the very basics. As a journalist, describe what 
the challenges are that you face when you're looking to publish something. Because as we talked about right before we started this, you know, I have this imagination that a journalist gets a topic, they go do some research, they write something up, and they publish it. But they don't necessarily have all the resources that, that they need for that research at their fingertips. So tell us a little bit about that. So um, the biggest challenge is kind of everybody's biggest challenge, um, and it's time. Uh, for That's what I found, that it was time, and it's, you know, just for anyone who hasn't worked in the media, I mean, you, you feel pressed generally. I think most people do feel pressed and busy, but the deadline never goes away. There's no, there's no pushing it back and, oh, we'll do the Tuesday paper on Wednesday or, you know, that we'll do the six o'clock, uh, uh, you know, newscast at 730 or, you know, there's none of that. So it's really, you're really, when you're communicating with a journalist, you're communicating with someone who is really pressed for time. Um, that said, just a quick aside is that if you do reach out to someone uh, via telephone or anything, go ahead and just ask them first, you know, is this a good time? That's so appreciated because sometimes it's really, really, really not. Um, and then the other thing is just like other folks, there's just so much information that it, it's hard to wade through things. It's hard to find um, you know, novel angles, novel stories, you know, you're competing with all the other stuff out there. And so you really want something that'll get people's eyeballs and attention. And um, that can be that can be a difficult thing to find. Um, I think another challenge too, can be folks just not really understanding um, what you need as a journalist. So sometimes people can be a little impatient and not really understand why something is or is not newsworthy. Um, people get a little, I think, tied to their idea of what a good story is or what the main focus is. And um, sometimes don't trust either, you know, journalist expertise or journalist just understanding of what it is they need at that time or when they need it. So that can sometimes be a little bit of a challenge because then you get things that aren't necessarily helpful um, and aren't, aren't, you know, necessarily useful. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's interesting. So one of the things you said to me that may, prompted a question I hadn't thought of is, and I want to jump right into it, although we might get back to it later is um, when you said wading through. So sometimes there's a lot of information and it made me think, how can a company help a journalist streamline the wading process? Yeah, um, that is a great question. One of the things you can do is to be concise. I think there's a tendency, especially among folks who, um, you know, some people in your audience may be coming from a more technical background, you know, maybe they're, the marketing is, is the secondary thing that they do. And the, you know, other writing and things they've done has been more technical. And so, you, you know, you want it all in there and, it, you know, you want it to be crystal clear. Well, when you're coming into somebody's inbox, um, you don't want it all in there. You really want to make sure that folks just get the gist of what you want, uh, starting with the, the subject line. Um, you know, make sure that it's pretty clear why this should be interested. Um, the other, one of the other things that you can do as well to help journalists is to provide good resources. A lot of companies are producing content that is based on research, is based on 
you know, valuable information. They've got some innovative stuff going on and it's actually very useful and newsworthy. And, and that content itself, um, not your, not your sales materials necessarily, but the content marketing things you would do that aren't, um, you know, as self-promotional, those kinds of things can be very helpful. Um, and one of the things that, that we talked about was how, you know, I, as a journalist, um, always looking for new stories, always looking for new angles. And I used what I now understand is content marketing. I didn't, I didn't know that at the time, but things like, um, studies, case studies, that sort of thing that came through. And there were really good, solid information, um, and timely information, um, there are many times where something like that, I, I got that content with, you know, just a brief explanation of what it was, called them right back, and boom, they had a story. Um, it was pretty simple, and it was good stuff, and it was, you know, relevant to to my audience. You know, I felt like readers would actually get value out of it, and, um, you know, they got lots of coverage, and they got third-party coverage, so it was, you know, an independent voice saying, hey, you know, they've done this work and it's really valuable and here's the link to it and here's the background behind it. And, you know, <laughs> you can't pay for that kind of coverage. Right. That's that's kind of more what I was thinking of is that um, higher level, useful to anyone sort of information and even packaging it in a way for a journalist maybe um, – here are 10 things that are important to think about in this space, whatever it is. I don't have a specific example in mind. Something that the journalist could take and then use it to evaluate everything else they're looking at and something that the audience, potential customers included, could look at and gain a better understanding of whatever situation they're in. Absolutely. And, you know, a, a list like that, 10 things, if there's some real information in there, um, you know, it's very likely that a journalist will, will call you back to find out. You know, there's a little bit of luck to it, you know. Um, so it's good to pay attention to what's going on in the larger news. Good to pay attention to what your target publication or journalist is has been writing about. Um, that helps. It's not hundred percent necessarily, but it, but it definitely helps. Um, you know, so yeah, you mentioned like a top 10 list. If it's something really, you know, some really solid information where, you know, as a journalist, you're looking at it thinking, I had no idea about this aspect of that industry, that technology, that process, that person, you know, whatever. Um, infographics too. I mean, those kinds of things often get picked up and just, um, just, run in totality, you know, and it's got your organization's name right there at the bottom and maybe just a little bit of editorial uh, from from the journalist. But, you know, there's so much um, interest in visuals these days. So something like that can just get picked right up and, and slapped in the newspaper. Um, but it becomes a news story, you know, by the process of you know, being evaluated by a journalist and deemed, yes, you know, this, this is timely, this is novel, whatever, whatever it is that, that they find useful about it. So that's something to consider also. It, it, it doesn't have to necessarily be a, a really big, dense, meaty piece of information. I like that. Um, one of my first episodes, I used to think that uh, the primary way, and I know there are people who do think this, and I'm not saying it's wrong, that the value of infographics is certainly in having your audience members share them because it's an easy thing to share. 
But on one of my first podcasts, I spoke to Danny Ashton, and his company does nothing but make infographics. And his whole thing was the way they make it work for companies is that it, it goes out through the media that they and they target they specifically know what media are looking for that kind of information oh, yeah, yeah. and that's and hugely valuable which i really hadn't thought of as kind of the primary distribution channel for infographics and and to get return on them yeah that's interesting somebody he, that's a smart person there who decided to build a whole business model around it because those things and you know the other thing is i mean journalists are just as visual we you know respond to the same things as everyone else and so you you're reading your own writing you're reading other people's things you're reading emails and then you go ooh a picture and your brain is just going to give that you know a few more beats of of time just you know we're visual creatures so that's definitely something to consider and they don't need to be big and involved um you know they don't they don't need to be insane the uh, the other good thing is that um as media organizations you know they're doing a lot of sharing on social media too so they're have the same goals to stop people in their tracks and get those eyeballs so there's a chance that something like that is going to be shared fairly widely because you know they can put it on twitter and facebook and um you know get a lot of of their own uh, you know, retweets and hits and that sort of thing. Right, because they want traffic back to their exactly publication as well. Exactly. Are there some other things you recommend companies do to in- increase their chances of getting their content picked up? And do we do we still need to rely on PR firms to make that happen? Or let, let's take those in two steps. Yeah, the- I'll. I'll um- answer the the PR question first uh, because I think it's a little bit shorter and you know it honestly depends on the size of your organization and and your resources I think I mean obviously this is you know (laughs) part of what I do Um, but I I really do believe that if you can find a dedicated staff person who can not only do that media engagement but but be available to follow up that's kind of the the key. So you don't want someone who's just, you know, putting things out there. You really want someone who is given the time and the bandwidth to be responsive and to just keep up with what's going on out there. I think that, again, depending on the size of the company and what you're doing, you know, if you've just kind of got one product or just a couple of products and you're at that point, you know, I'm I'm not sure that um, that would really be necessary, you know, um, it, you could just build up relationships on your own with things like trade publications, with your local media who want to cover, you know, successful organizations or innovative businesses and, you know, some some choice national media. And so I think that leads into the answer to your first question is, uh, you know, what can folks do, um, whether or not they're relying on PR, really, um, being picky is is one of the best things you can do um, for yourself and for the end receiver because I, one of the worst things, one of the most annoying things is when you get an email and you know it's just this shotgun thing. You don't know whether another dozen or another hundred journalists got it and it's you know pitching something that has nothing to do with what you cover or what your publication covers or anything like that. Um, that's that's just kind of a pain and folks who do that 
um, often enough, you remember who they are so that you don't even, <laughs> you, you know, you won't even open the email. Um, and it's just a bad way to go. And it's a waste of, well, I guess, you know, just sending a click, is, it doesn't take much more time. But, it, you, you know, your time is better spent really just finding out who um, who is interested in what you do and who's already writing about it or who's connected with those audiences so that you can explain to them, you know, uh, you know, your readers, your viewers, um, they're interested in this kind of thing, you know, so that you just do a little bit of homework to show that you understand what it is they do and whom it is they do it for. That's a huge thing. Um, and, you know, so you want to be kind of tailored and, and thinking about it, it really in terms of relationship building, you know, uh, because going back to that time crunch thing that I mentioned, when you're a journalist and you're sitting at your desk and you're looking for something or you're trying to find another angle or you're trying to find another piece of information even about something that you're already writing about, who's going to come to mind? Someone whom you've engaged with most recently, you know, just like the rest of us, someone you have some kind of relationship with, a name you know and, you know, have some trust in. So reaching out even before you really have a story to just say, hey, I see what you're doing. This is what we do love to keep in touch. Um, reaching out on social media is great, not necessarily to pitch your stories, but just to to retweet, to repost, to give a thumbs up or a high five when there's something you you like, to, you know, to give uh, an opinion, you know, something knowledgeable. Those kinds of things go a long way when the, de- when the clock is ticking and you're like, oh man, you know, I need someone who can uh, you know, who who is it that knows something about this little bit of a thing? And you go back in your emails, or you're like, oh, that, you know, that person who posted that stuff on LinkedIn or responded to this, and you just, you know, pick up the phone and call. And that happens a lot just because you're already a known entity. I really like all of that. First of all, if if you're sending something to a dozen and certainly to a hundred journals, you're already not starting with a good strategy because you're really trying to check a box that we got something published somewhere. It's not possible (laughs) that you're (laughs) publishing it. If it does get picked up, that it's going into the right place. If it's one out of a hundred, right? (laughs) Yeah. And then the whole idea of building those relationships and, and not poisoning the well by doing that the first time because maybe now the next time you go, oh, now I have a really good idea. I'm going to send this to that person. And they look at your email and, you, and they say, oh, that was the person who who sent us the spam last time. I'm not even going to open it. So <laughs> yeah, that yeah if you if you mess up and send some spam, just wait a while before you send your next right, <laughs> yeah. next pitch. Give people time to forget. But it's true, it's true. I mean, we you know we joke about those things because you just you know who those people are. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like the uh, the the telemarketers. You know, I don't know if you've had that. Hi, I'm Rachel from Cardholder Services, but. You know, <laughs> She calls you a lot. Yeah, people know exactly what you're saying because it's the same basic idea. You get that same feeling, you know, as a journalist when someone's in your inbox, you know, with something that just has nothing to do with you. And they're just hoping that somehow, you know, I don't know, you're, you're gullible enough or tired enough to think it's news or think it's valuable um it's that same feeling so you don't you don't want to be the person who puts that out there and then tries to you know piggyback your message on top of that right and i i like the idea of actually building that relationship and taking a long-term view that if if this journal or publication is the right 
thing for our story now, we should be looking at talking to them on a regular basis about anything and providing them useful things, even that might not be directly related to our business and being that resource so that when they're looking, they come to you and then Absolutely. I think um, one good example of that is industry news, right? So when I was a business reporter, I covered, um, you know, uh, manufacturing, which is, okay, one sector, but then you've got, you know, advanced materials, you've got cars, you've got textiles, you've got, you know, a bunch of different stuff, electronics, so um, medical devices. So then I can't keep up with all the news and all of those areas, you know. And so even helping journalists do that, just saying, hey, you know, here's a new regulation we have to deal with. Or or, or even better, you know, here's how we and our peers are responding to a certain regulation. Or here is, you know, something that happened that maybe didn't get a lot of uh, attention, but it's, you know, kind of a quiet thing that's going to have a big impact on our industry. You know, just a heads up, just a link. Check out this article, you know, in a trade publication or in the New York Times, you know, that kind of thing. That's huge. It's quick. It doesn't take a lot of time. It shows that you actually care about helping someone produce good journalism and that that kind of thing goes a long way because it's it's what we're looking for from sources that's that's why you have sources so that they can you know be your eyes and ears and and help you understand what's important to the folks out there fantastic let's shift gears a little bit or maybe move to a different topic Okay. How, well, it, it's still the same topic, a different angle. How, how do companies incorporate a media strategy into their content marketing? Uh, yeah, that's a great one. So now I'm putting my other hat on. And it's really, um, you want to look at it, you know, for, for folks who are really kind of unfamiliar, maybe kind of new to, to doing their marketing, um, you want to look at it the same way you th- or in a similar way as how you look at your customers. So when it comes to your customers, what do you want to know, right? You want to know what they're buying, how they're buying, what's their process, how do you reach them? Are they uh, you know, are are they best at trade shows? Are they best with direct mail? You know, what whatever it is. So you really want to have specific people in mind when you're when you're building a a product and you're selling it to folks same thing with your um with your messaging so you've already kind of got what you're doing with your content and now think about i would think about the media organizations also almost as personalities um you know some folks use uh profiles or avatars or you know different terms for that but you kind of you're really thinking about okay who is a is a good fit for what we do for who we need to talk to and for what we have to provide so thinking about whether that is a trade journal um whether that is a mainstream media source or a specialized media source. So, for instance, it could be um, media channels focused specifically on health. You know, it could be a health website. Um, You also want to think about actual individual people like bloggers, influencers, those sorts of people um, when you're – and I'm I'm actually – 
you know, sort of including bloggers when I when I talk about kind of the needs out there and the stuff in your inbox and that sort of thing because they, they you know it's very similar situation, and so also just thinking about them as individual people for whom um, you want to produce something valuable. Is that is that making sense? No, yeah, no. absolutely, absolutely, okay. yeah. Um, and and when. Uh, so you're talking about incorporating into your content strategy. So that also means then you're thinking, okay, this is a trade journal or this is an edgy blog or this is a national newspaper or this is a newsletter, you know, uh, then you want to think about what exactly then the best kind of content is for those folks. Now, we talked about maybe sending out a white paper or something like that. You know, no one's going to reprint your white paper, so that that's maybe parts of that could come in. It's probably more likely going to prompt someone to pick up the phone and ask you to, you know, digest it. But when we're talking about smaller uh, other types of content such as um thought leadership pieces, uh, opinion pieces, guest editorials, guest blogs, um those those infographics or top tens, that sort of thing. You know, you want to be really, really specific to the medium because um, you can take pieces and and reshift them, and you know, you can take pieces of your white paper and turn it into a top ten list, or a um, even have someone on staff turn it into some helpful video. You know, video is huge. I didn't even mention that. I don't think. Um, you know take someone, have someone take a piece of that and turn it into a couple minutes of video that's ex- explaining a trend or a technology or an issue, some of the stuff I referenced before. So just really thinking about, okay, this is who I think wants this. Now, what is it that they produce and how, how is it that their audience consumes things? And um, I think those two things will really get you very far. So, and, and early on in your planning process. So this is not something you want to do you know, after you've decided we're going to do 10 blogs and we're going to, you know, do some case studies and some white papers and we're going to do these marketing materials. You want that to be on the front end of your conversation so that you know where everything goes. And it also will just, you know, help you maximize your your time and the resources that you're putting into your content so that you can know, oh, okay, this could maybe be spun out a couple of different ways or this could be sent to four or five different types of markets kind of thing. Yay. (laughs) We we think the same way about that. Like the whole thing about um, planning to repurpose. So it's at the front end when you're deciding what to make is the easiest time to figure out how can we use that in many different ways. I'm always telling people it's really hard to go back to an existing piece of content and say, what else could we do with this? And, um, you know, something that just came to mind, too, is that, um, I mean, why not go ahead and let, you know, your your journalist contact know, you know, we've got um, we've got this white paper, but we've also, you know, got a uh, a, um, a podcast that we've done about it or we've got some video as well. You know, let them know if you if you've done that work because um, you just never necessarily know exactly what's going on in that newsroom and what it is they need. And it, it could just fill a need that, um, you know, you're not, you're not aware of or spark some ideas there on the other end of how the content could be used. 
That's really helpful. Let's. So you mentioned white papers. So let's finish up on this. So yeah. you said they're not going to publish your white paper in its entirety, but a lot of companies might publish white papers that they would publish on LinkedIn or um, send out to their mailing list or offer on a website for download. But if, so what's the best way to use those, package those, or pitch those, and and how would they be used on the other side by a journalist? Yeah, so what, what I've, um, what's worked best for me and the ones that I've responded to the most are when you get, um, um, you know, you get an email with a link to the executive summary. So at the very least, you want that because that's what your um, journalist is going to take the time to look into if it's you know, if they have to open up a <laughs> bajillion page PDF, you know, even if it's interesting, even if they want to, it may end up being, oh, I'll take a look at this later. And then who knows what happens later. Right. Um, so, so you could even, you know, your one page exec- executive summary, sending it as an attachment uh, and a link as well, because, you know, sometimes attachments drop off or they fall through or whatever, um, that kind of thing would be a very effective way. And it says, hey, you know, and uh, with a brief message about a couple of the really important or interesting insights that are in the paper and something that says, you know, just thought you'd like to know and the contact information who's available for follow-up because you don't don't know that, um, I mean, I've picked up the phone immediately upon (laughs) receiving something just because the timing was right and I needed something and an email came through and it looked like something good and I picked the phone right up. So, you know, you want to make sure that they are able to follow up as soon as that information gets out. And um, so let me just recap that really quick, you know, quick email uh, that says one or two of the most important uh, highlights of the information that's in there. And that email um, could have an attachment to an executive summary, one page, no more than a page. And uh, I'd also include a link as well, just to be sure that, you know, they're getting it as many ways as they can and nothing kind of, you know, so if your link is wonky or something, there's an attachment. If your attachment doesn't work, there's a link, just something where people can respond and check it out very quickly. Okay. What, what do they've got to say? I like that. And really, if you think about it, or as I'm thinking about it, it's not necessarily, um, obvious to me. You're not, you don't need to get your white paper published, right? What you need is your white paper to be mentioned so that in a context that make people go want to look at it. Yes. Right. Yes. And in fact, you'd rather have people come to your site to look at your white paper than to have it fully published in a journal when someone could read it and go, okay, I'm done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't need to go there. (laughs) Yeah, unless you just did such a great job that, you know, they're just thirsty for more information. Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, you you don't want that. And the other thing, too, is that, um, you know, they're going to be, the media organizations are going to be, you know, sharing your link and sending it out. They're going to, you know, um, have that link. They, I mean, they'll want the initial track back to be to their sites, but they still want to be useful when users get there. And so that will that would mean including the link to the full white paper. But the other thing that might happen is that they may just actually not have any interest in your white paper, um, but in, in you as an expert. And that's pretty valuable as well, especially when you talk about that relationship building I was mentioning earlier and that sort of thing. Um, so you may not necessarily... Um, 
the ROI on that white paper may not be that it's more larger distribution for your white paper. It may be that you have positioned yourself as an expert in the eyes of someone in the media who covers what you do. And that's super valuable um, because, you know, that person will come back to you looking for ideas. That person will be responsive to the other little things that you send. Um, and that person may very well just, um, you know, pick up the phone and, and quote you maybe about the topic. Um, but, you know, not necessarily reference the, the paper. It just kind of depends on the audience. Well, that's that's all super helpful. And I, I certainly wouldn't have thought of that. So, Jennifer, this has been a wonderful conversation it's filled with a lot of nuggets that I think my audience is going to be able to use. Where can people go to find out more about you and what you're doing? So my website is xeditorial.com, just uh, letter X, or, um, and I'm on Twitter at Jen Oladipo, which is J-E-N-O-L-A-D-I-P-O, but um, X Editorial is kind of the quickest, <laughs> easiest to spell way to do that, and um, uh, thanks for having me. This was great. I really enjoyed it. Oh, my pleasure. So I'll put a link and your Twitter handle up in the show notes. And yeah, thank you so much for educating us on what I think are really practical ways to, to get that earned media and make it a part of your overall content strategy. Wow. So many great nuggets in there. If you enjoyed the podcast as much as I did, please tell two of your friends very much appreciated if you want to jump over to iTunes and leave a rating or a review. Also very much appreciated. And I will talk to you in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye.